podcast where fact and legend merge. The Wild West Podcast presents the true accounts of individuals who settled in a town built out of hunger for money, regulated by fast guns who walked on both sides of the law, patrolling, investing in, and regulating the brothels, saloons, and gambling houses. These are the stories of the men who made the history of the Old West come alive, bringing with them the birth of legends, brought to order by a six-gun and laid to rest with their boots on. Join us now as we take you back in history to the legends of the Wild West. My orders have been given to me from Fort Leavenworth on June 3, 1872, to assume command at Fort Dodge, Kansas. I arrived at Fort Dodge the next day, the post being located on the north bank of the Arkansas River between two Indian trails that cross the stream, 20 miles to the east and to the west. The fort was isolated without telegraph communications and with no large communities nearby. The only means of communication was the weekly mail. The mail reached Fort Dodge over a road from Hayes City, a stop on the Kansas Pacific Railroad 80 miles north. Upon my arrival, I found the vicinity post an influx of an unruly population that followed the railroad. The problems immediately recognizable far outnumbered those I had encountered along the Union Pacific a few years earlier. My orders were to ensure Fort Dodge became an oasis of order and the rule of law amid conditions that verged on chaos. Fort Dodge consisted of stone buildings, including two large warehouses, barracks for three companies of troops, and a large stable for cavalry mounts. During my inspection of the fort, I visited the sutler's store ran by Robert Wright and his partner, A.J. Anthony. There, I found and struck up a conversation with Mr. Wright in a lounging place designed for idlers about the station. Upon questioning Mr. Wright on his appointment at Post Sutler, he asked me to have a seat and pulled up a chair next to me. It seems as Mr. Wright had been in the area for some time, first running a hay ranch at the Cimarron Crossing along the Nine Mile Ridge. Wright began, I worked for three years for Sanderson and Company, and then became a contractor for cutting hay, wood, and hauling grain. I was then appointed post trader at Fort Dodge in 1867. He told me he had been at the fort as early as the summer of 1867, where he became inflicted with cholera. He was one of the lucky ones, for there were 34 cases reported, and 22 of them died. Two companies of black infantry traveling from Fort Harker may have contributed to the cause of the cholera outbreak. Over the years, I have worked hard to comply with fort regulations, Wright stated. Even after being coerced by the previous commander and his officers to open a private bar for their enjoyment. When things got rough, I limited the selling of whiskey, and on occasion closed the bar upon request. Wright then scratched his head below his hat, finishing his explanation by stating, especially after the conflict between Captains Moore and Rife. What do you mean, I asked. Well, it seems the two captains were at odds with each other, explained Wright. It was as if he had a feud going on between them. Captain Rife, I believe his first name to be Joseph, had been transferred by the post nine days before the incident occurred. Captain Rife was refreshing himself at my bar when Captain Moore came through for a drink, said Wright, pointing in the direction of the bar. 
Wright continued. Rife, on seeing Captain Moore, left the bar, stated he was retiring for the evening. The aversion between them was noticeable, for it caused them to glare hatred through their eyes at one to the other. Afterward, I served up a shot to Captain Moore, bragged Wright. He told me his first name being Orlando, and he was on his way from Fort Hayes, passing through to Fort Supply. He said that Captain Rife was lucky he did not stay long, for he would have received a good bashing. Not long after these words left Captain Moore's lips, I saw the tail end of a rawhide whip strike Moore in the back. Moore went to his knees while he screamed in pain. Oh. The next thing I saw was Captain Rife, who had returned from his quarters, standing over Moore. Rife had a grin on his face, a pistol in his belt while pulling back on the whip. He then struck Captain Moore several times. Moore then answered with his fist, hitting Rife to the jaw. Several bystanders separated them, but Rife, being undeterred, pulled his pistol and shot Moore. At this point in Wright's story, I became angry about the conduct of the men stationed at the fort, and close to close my conversation with Mr. Wright, I simply asked, How bad were Moore's injuries? Mr. Wright concluded by saying, Moore, he was lucky that day. He was not wounded or killed by Captain Rife, for the lead ball from the pistol shot glanced off Moore's pocket watch, said Wright as he leaned back in his chair. After hearing Wright's testimony, I instantly stood up from the table I was sitting. I looked down at Mr. Wright, stating to him that selling whiskey on the fort was not a favorable enterprise. Leaving Wright's place, I provided him with the need to have further discussions about an alternative plan, one not including whiskey sales on the fort premises. A month had passed before another drunken instance occurred on the post in July of 1872. This incident involved 2nd Lieutenant Edward P. Turner, 10th Cavalry. Turner was then stationed at Camp Supply, was ordered with some of his men to escort an officer of the Quartermaster Department, Captain Ezra P. Kirk, on his 90-mile journey north to Fort Dodge. Turner and his men were crossing over the Arkansas River on their detail back from Fort Supply when the supply wagon they escorted bogged down in the mud. Turner, being discouraged with the situation and being within the vicinity of Fort Dodge, ordered his men to leave both supply wagon and mule. Evidently, he was drunk by the time he reached the sutler's store, for Turner began drinking with his men. Turner, a former private soldier, was noted to be on companionable terms with his men. It was not long before I was informed of Turner's arrival. The report claimed the uninhibited Turner had ridden his horse into the soldier's billiard room, fired a shot in the store, tried to ride into Bob Wright's private residence. Hurrying to the scene, I found him in the ballroom, obviously roaring drunk, and ordered him arrested. But Turner, armed and potentially dangerous, defied my orders. It would take an armed party to arrest me, he boasted. Being post commander, I wanted to avoid serious injury to anyone. I approached Turner with caution and managed to get my arms around him, while the officer of the day, Captain Edward Moore, 3rd Infantry, took away his pistol. I then stepped back, urging Turner to behave sensibly and obey my order of arrest. But the drunken Turner responded to me by calling out to his men for assistance and lunging forward, striking me with his fists. 
When I thought I had taken as many blows as I ought to be called upon to bear, I knocked him down with a billiard cue and had him taken to the guardhouse. Shortly afterward, I ordered an escort for Lieutenant Turner to Fort Supply. Second Lieutenant Turner, in chains and under guard by Second Lieutenant Sabri Smith, would reach his post together with his men to face charges that led to a trial by court-martial. I can only say here that the incident with Lieutenant Turner and his men forced my decision to lay out plans to organize a township five miles west of the fort. The time had come to have further discussion with Mr. Wright about an alternative plan. (laughs) 